1: All while saving businesses billions—that's Wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Welcome to Wealthy On. I'm your host Eric Chemi. Today we are joined by Kathleen Hayes. She's the editor in chief of Central Bank Central, talking about policymaking and the leading policymakers from around the world. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's wonderful to be here, Eric. Having been a leading economic journalist, right, going back many years here at Bloomberg, CNBC, and other places. People recognize you. They know you. What are the conversations that that people are asking you? What are the questions they come to you with in terms of where do you see the macro outlook or you know, do you think the Fed's got rates right? What do you find people are asking you a lot of right now?
0: When I run into people, I think that's clearly the Fed. Now, uh, one of the things that made a big difference, in fact, in the last couple of months or something was noticed, people were putting in the grand context of where the US is and where the global economy is going, what that ultimately is gonna be for central banks would be the world economic outlook. And one of the things that world economic outlook showed is that inflation is still a problem, for example, they're concerned about the slowdown in China. Those are the kinds of things that come to the table. When I am out and about in other places, if I'm talking to somebody, inflation is a very big question. I mean, it's a a big question for regular people, not necessarily linking it to what the Fed's gonna do. Although I think more and more people are getting at least a simple sense, a basic sense of gee, Federal Reserve, you know, interest rates. People already see that their mortgage rates, uh, if they want to sell a house and move, you know they can't get out of a three percent 30 year because they don't want to go to a six percent plus 30 year. And I think those things are tying everybody, not just Wall Street, not just investors, but a lot of people, to what is happening on the monetary policy side on the central bank side.
1: What did you think of, because now you mentioned people, normal people talking about inflation. What did you think of that whole Super Bowl push by Joe Biden to talk about shrinkflation? Like, like no one knew this until he discovered it a month ago. To me, it seemed a little bit ridiculous.
0: Well, you know, I'm, I'm scratching my head over that one. I guess the first thing that comes in mind is whip inflation now. Alan Greenspan decades ago, Gerald Ford, the president then, let's wear buttons to bring inflation down. It didn't work. The problem is, or the challenges I should say, that sure there's shrink inflation. You know, you make a candy bar that's seven ounces instead of nine ounces, and you charge the same price. The question of the inflation we're dealing with now, though, is much bigger than that. And it has a lot to do with the things that were done during the pandemic to prevent a depression, uh, was what the worst that people could fear, and and keep the economy on track, both on the monetary policy side and on the fiscal policy side, you know, to cut rates to zero and pump $5 trillion into the economy in a year. And uh, it certainly had the result of keeping the economy going. And look where we are now still so got the economy going, seems relatively strong. There's some question marks over it. But at the same time, um, inflation did get out of control. And once you once you get it out of the bag, it's hard to bring down. But also, I think what's bothering people, and I think it's hard for, um, you know, if you're in a campaign, election campaign, and you're the president and his team, you know, you want to say, "Hey, you guys, we're bringing inflation down. It's going well. The problem is the price level is so much higher. It's still higher, and that's what people are still feeling and seeing."
1: Right, like that's the thing that we all know as consumers, but the data forgets that in a way because we talk about inflation, but that's a growth percentage, right? Everything's twenty-five percent more expensive than it was four years ago, right? So something that was a dollar is now a dollar twenty-five. So okay, hey, it's only going to be a dollar twenty-six now. But that's still way more than it was, and it's never going back to a dollar. It's never going back to a dollar, fifteen, a dollar ten. So we're now paying that price forever even if even if we had zero inflation from now on, we're paying these hugely elevated prices
0: and I think that the optimists um uh, are thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, wages will continue to rise because people are going to continue to um, be in a better position to get those wage increases. Number one, there's still some labor shortages in certain industries. And uh, at least the latest numbers suggest that productivity, how much you produce per hour of your labor has gone up Although I was speaking to Jason Furman a couple of weeks ago, who is the former head of the Council of Economic Advisors under Barack Obama and um, Jason, fine economist, and he calls them as he sees them. He said, yeah, productivity was really high last year, but he thinks that productivity does that and go up and then be flattened out. So I don't know if we can, uh, according to him, we can really count on that. But uh, I think that these are all question marks out there. and it's And the thing about the prices coming back down. You know they might. Do you remember back in when was it? I guess it was when the Fed got worried that inflation was wasn't going up to 2%. Remember it would be 1.7, 1.8, maybe it'd be 1.9, but it just couldn't hit the target. And for about a decade there was, well, first of all, for a couple of decades, there was competition from China in terms of wages. A lot of people say, oh, Kathleen, it doesn't matter. Well, I think if you were some kind of manufacturing worker in the U.S. and things went overseas to China or maybe even Mexico, you, you do think it's a problem. Also technology. Uh, and I think one of the thing, price discovery, right? Because how could you go, you couldn't go on the internet and poke around and find, oh, gee, I really like that sweater, you know, made by, you know, Kathleen Hayes Productions. I, I, I want to buy it. I'm willing to spend whatever for it. Let's say it's 50 bucks. Oh, back on the internet. Hey, there's Kathleen's sweater. It's, it's only 40. So what do I do? Hop on the internet. And even if I didn't hop on the internet, maybe I'd shop around. And I think there was so much price competition. That kind of lulled us. It brought inflation down. And so could that happen again? I don't know. Maybe it could. Maybe we will get something like that again. But right now, we seem to be a long way from that.
1: I saw a story in the Wall Street Journal, Uh, this week about how, maybe it was in the Thursday paper, how the hotel industry can't find enough workers right now. So because there's a labor shortage there, it's it's all the COVID stuff, right? They had to reduce. Now they can't get enough people back. And so travel prices will be elevated this year because the pricing that they have to pay to get people to work there is high. And it goes to a lot of what we're talking about, still these post-COVID effects or the you know, if if this labor market is so tight, what are we actually doing, right? Like, where where is the right balance of, of of policies? I don't know if you have an opinion on on what you're seeing and and how maybe you would do something different if you were in those seats.
0: Well, the fact of the matter is, it's hard to get people to go to work if they can find another job that pays them more. Um, I was a restaurant worker years ago for a pretty, very serious one when I was kind of in between finishing my master's degree in economics and going out and getting a, a, a professional job. Uh, waited tables, tend a bar, and uh, worked hard. And that's what people do in that industry. But I think um, if there's, well, even just food delivery in New York City and Manhattan, you know, uh, we have a great uh, diner in our neighborhood, beyond. I'll give. Uh, to- uh, you know, Sammy and his team a little pitch there that um, he said they they have had a hard time getting people back because people who might have worked and come to work and started maybe washing dishes and then cooking on the line they're much more likely to say, "Hey, Instacart, my you know my local fairway is full of people." So that's part of it, but I think also um, there is. Still, um, relative to the number of people who are changing jobs, looking for jobs, coming back in the labor force, that doesn't quite meet the demand in certain industries. Now we got tech layoffs, but that's very high level and very high paid jobs. I think we're talking more about a lot of services jobs, and that's where we see some tightness.
1: What do you think about as you mentioned the the tech layoffs? Because the markets at all time highs, these tech companies are you know exploding in a good direction up, and then they keep laying people off. So. I don't know what i'm supposed to make of that if they thought they were in a strong position they would keep those workers because it's hard to find good workers they especially engineering talent they would keep them put them somewhere or like not lay them off because if we're growing we might need them in three weeks for something to me it feels very weird why are we buying stocks at all-time highs when those companies themselves are getting rid of people well
0: this is not my area expertise, so just from afar, let me say number one: What if some of those tech workers, well, they're getting laid off? I wonder how quickly they're finding jobs. Everyone's so hot right now on AI. AI is going to be the biggest thing. Last fifty years, it's going to transform the landscape. Everybody's got to own that stock. Everybody's got to, um, you know, be every company, every CEO. Is, oh yeah, we're investing in AI because they know they have to because everybody else is. And what if I said, oh, no, I, I think I'm going to wait and see what happens with AI, right? Maybe there, maybe some of these big tech companies are saying, we have this skill of worker and there's another skill of worker we need. And also there's a lot of stories, I think, in, that I've finally noticed about how high paid a lot of these tech workers were. I remember seeing a story about Meta, right? Um, about how uh, they had so many workers that basically just sat there a lot. They'd hired tons of people. They were paying might maybe a year, and maybe those are some of the workers that are getting peeled off now as they take another look at where they are, what they need, and where things are going. I know
1: you're not the expert on tech, right? You're more of the macro econ person, the econo queen. But obviously, the tech story is important, the AI story is important. It it filters into the conversations that are happening at the FOMC meeting, right? At At the BOE meeting, the BOJ meeting. When you talk to central bank policymakers, how much do they worry about the impact of AI in terms of what it's going to mean for future job levels, unemployment levels and all that?
0: I think probably most of them. uh, It isn't something I've talked specifically, just like even in the last two or three months with people about. It's going to play out and nobody knows how quickly it's going to play out. Nobody knows if there's going to be job destruction right? Because there are certain kinds of jobs that won't need to be done by people. People just, oh, I'll plug in the AI and let them write that report, right? Or whatever else. AI could do all kinds of things. But I think that that it, it still remains to be seen. And when I see stories like, oh, well, yeah, I noticed that my bio was up and it said something completely untrue about me. That happened to this woman named Tykoltz, who um, wrote this book, uh, The Big Fat Surprise of Years. It was a great book about oh what I consider the real deal on diet, which is protein, low sugar, watch out for the carbs. It's pretty easy to see that that causes a lot of health issues to be moving too much in the wrong direction anyway. and she had she put a, tweeted something about how uh, Gemini, had there was something written by them that said she had lied about meat or s- things were completely false. And she said, well actually I let them know and they apologized and they changed it. But to me, I just wonder uh how I think those they're still kind of early hurdles. And people again, I think people everyone wants to be ahead, but talk about listen to all the people who jumped on with Chat GPT and now they go, ah, oh, well, I guess maybe Chat GBT isn't so great. I mean, this is to me still a little bit the beginning, or a lot, the beginning, and I don't think the Fed is going to take any position on it right now when it's not really the main thing driving their decisions. But you know, certainly for investors, it's it's something you've got to come. And it, but it's it's just it's just too early. But you know, um, the tech bubble back in the early days, what uh, NASDAQ went up the first time to five thousand, and that was huge. That that it, things things where we are today isn't necessarily where we're going to be down the road. This is too early, I think, for anybody like a. a an, an economic policymaker to think that this is something they really have to be responding to, although you can be sure they're all watching it very closely and they have lots of people who are watching it closely inside the Fed.
1: You know, speaking about the Fed economic policymakers, we've had some guests on recently. Uh, you, you may know some of them, you know, they're, they're characters in the financial media space. And and they've really been very pointed in their, their criticism of the Fed. In terms of, it's the wrong policy. It's been the wrong policy. It's a lot of group think. There's not enough cognitive diversity there. There, they've been wrong about a lot of things. You know, going back from COVID and and even up until now. What is your what is your take on that? Do you feel like they're generally on the right track, or or generally, they've got the wrong people making the wrong decisions?
0: Well, I know that one of the first people who comes to mind is someone I I just interviewed, and his name is Charlie Calamiris. Charlie is a, a Business finance professor at uh, Columbia Business School. Um, Charlie is a member of the Shadow Open Market Committee. People who are, um, I think, a lot of them tend to be people who are kind of like the, the. Uh, I want to say it's it's the it's like the core of the Fed that you fight inflation. You want to make sure you don't let inflation get out of control and you could even hearken to someone like John Taylor, Stanford University, the Taylor rule. There's certain things you do. Charlie made the same point to me. In fact, I was out in Las Vegas sitting in my hotel room doing an interview with him before I went down to the the Las Vegas money show and did some things with them. And um Charlie was quite adamant that, uh, and I think this was this was after the uh, federal market, the, the Fed minutes that came out. He thinks they've been wrong for a long time; their models wrong. It's not getting the right results, and they ought to look at their model again. Because if you keep making mistakes and you're not you're not making the correct forecast, you're not making some of the correct decisions, then it's time to take another look. Now he's on one end of the spectrum. There are other people you could speak to who are you know, former Federal Reserve officials and certainly at the Fed now who see it differently. But I think these questions, I think those are legitimate questions. I think one thing I'd like to urge everybody to remember is People who work at the Federal Reserve, people who are in this field, they've, they dedicated their life to it, right? They're not there to make a ton of money. They're fascinated by it. They're conscientious people. They're doing their best. So I think everybody should just kind of cool off a little bit sometime and say, you know what? Monetary policy is not exactly a science. You can, we'll go to the Taylor rule now in just a minute, but it is also kind of an art. And and I want to ask any investor, oh, did you get all your trades right? Did you get all your calls right? It, and That's different as well. But I just think it's, it's a very important discussion, and I'm happy everyone's looking at it, because I think the more everybody pays attention to monetary policy in the Federal Reserve, th- this is one of the most powerful institutions in our country, and every central bank tends to be it in many countries, so it's a good thing for us to be all debating and, and trying to educate ourselves about in an intelligent way.
1: I hear what you're saying about they're trying their best, they've dedicated their lives to this, but I think about in related fields, right? If you're an investor, professional investor, hedge fund, mutual fund, you know, private equity, whatever it is, if you're wrong enough, you get fired. Your investors pull their money, you don't have a fund, you're out of the well, game. Well a lot right? of them
0: just walk down the street and get their next job. Come on. I've seen a lot of people survive in the in, in high levels in the in financial services, right? They they do after
1: after you blow up. You blow up once but then you go down the street.
0: Well, I don't know. I think that I don't think it's I don't think it's a a given that your jobs your job's done if you got it wrong. You just you just have to find the right group to go to, and and maybe they like you know. But it, it's I'm not I'm not quite on page with that. I don't think that uh, the uh, the financial industry is necessarily that definitive in that sense.
1: It is it is similar because the other example I was going to use, and you're probably right about the job flexibility is if you're a professional sports coach, right? NBA coach, NFL coach. Those guys are getting fired. You know you three years on average you last right if if you're a normal coach some don't even make it one year but then they get their other job at the other team right a couple of years later or down the street so so there is some flexibility but there's it's not like there's another fed in the united states to go to, that's right? true not, that's right yeah yeah let me put it this way if in hindsight we've seen mistakes that the fed has made No one is getting fired over that. It's just, hey, I hope you learned your lesson and I hope you can do better. Well, no, I
0: I, I don't think it's just that. I think there's a reputational issue. I think Jay Powell realizes, in fact, who made this point to me recently about um, Jay Powell? Because I think you know, at the end of the year, the Fed signaled, "Okay, we're we're done hiking, and we're probably going to be heading towards rate cuts." And that's what the dots showed. That's what their median forecast for where rates are going twenty twenty four showed. And then the numbers kind of turned around, and inflation, you know, they they, they had some surprises. And uh, I was interviewing a former Fed bank president. Maybe he'll come to me. Who oh I know it was Dennis Lockhart. He was president of the Atlanta Fed, and that he was in line before Raphael Bostic, who's there now for a while. But Dennis said he and he doesn't he's I don't know what Jay is thinking, but I think part of this is he he's thinking about his legacy. He wants to he wants to get this right. You know he did you could say he led things in many ways in the right direction but inflation they you could say well they we didn't get a recession during the pandemic right we didn't get the depression they were so aggressive every program to serve you know save every kind of uh bond and credit market you could but if he doesn't get this right and if this fed doesn't this is their legacy and they will go down in history as a central bank that made a big mistake, maybe even failed if they don't get inflation down. I think a lot of people figure they're on their way to get that. But so I do think it's, no, you don't necessarily get fired, but, uh, because you're, it's not, I mean, it do you get, I guess there's other things you can get fired from in the government. And I suppose if you did something awful, they could fire you, could be fired, but I don't think that's the point of it as much. And I, um, Maybe we could change the system. The problem with that is, though, one last thing we want to do is let Congress control the Fed because whoever's you would say, oh, whoever's in office then is going to say, oh, cut rates, please. Oh, I don't care how high inflation is. I want to get reelected or we need to wrap things up. Yeah, just go ahead and cut rates and you have to do it. Right. Would that be a better system? I think that's the question you have to ask yourself
1: from the same people that put us trillions of dollars into debt and deficit. I don't think we want them also in charge of the Fed. It probably wouldn't probably wouldn't work out. Do you, do you wonder, though, because of what Congress has done on the spending side over the last many years, that we'll never get out of this massive debt, that the deficits will continue to be a problem, that we're looking at a generation for our kids and grandkids, that
0: mm. okay.
1: they, they can't pay off the debt. The interest will be too high. You can't have high interest rates because then just paying government treasuries is, is too expensive and it'll crowd out anything the government can do, do you wonder about that long term effect?
0: Well, it's up to Congress. You know, I mean, in the next administration, whoever runs it, will there be more of a willingness to come together and start looking at spending, you know, start looking at taxes, start looking at what we're going to do with Medicare and Social Security? I think some people are optimistic more of this could happen. Uh, Will it take some big I don't know, markets' reaction somewhere along the line? Uh, will it take a reaction in the dollar? Just a lot of other countries have very high debt to deficit ratios now, so um, it may not come from overseas, but that would be another question. Um, it's one thing we know, or I'd say one thing that a lot of people consider as an issue right now is the fact that for the Fed right now, for inflation and the economy. Is that there was so much money that was put in programs. $5 $5 trillion worth, right? And a lot the infrastructure programs, for example, a lot of that money is still going into the economy, right? An infrastructure project doesn't start in a day or a month or sometimes even in a year. But as that money goes into the economy, and I'll, I'll uh, recommend a couple of people who have been very good on this. And one is Rob, Ca- Rob Kaplan, former president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, and also Mickey Levy, uh, who is long known. He's a, 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 a Visiting scholar at uh, the Hoover Institution, he's had uh, many positions as well, and he's been. And he, as part of his background for Mickey, is fiscal policy as well as well as monetary policy. And they have both stressed that that's one of the reasons people, say, oh wow, what a surprise! The economy's so resilient. The Fed does all these rate hikes, and it's still growing. Well, but that is one of the things that's going. And and Rob, for example, who who still has a lot of contacts in that that broader Texas area says he knows he, he talks to lots of municipalities and and companies where that those those projects are still playing out the money goes into the economy they hire workers then hey you've got a little bodega or a deli or something that now all of a sudden there's a bunch of people who need to buy their lunch right so these are the kinds of things that in in some parts or maybe many parts of the country are still feeding through uh is it bad or good I'd say a lot of people say, no, it's good. It, it's it's building up infrastructure and people are getting jobs and making more money. Yes, but if you think about inflation and what it's going to take if you really want to get it down, then that's one one part of the, the policy equation that you maybe have to consider a bit more than some people have.
1: The dichotomy between what people think, like you said, some people, if you go to different parts of the country, they think it's good, they think it's bad. There seems to be a big impact on, on the media in terms of what you're reading, what you're you're watching, if it's social media or the newspaper, and you having been you know an expert in economics and a media member about economics, do you find there's a big disconnect between what normal people experience versus what they're reading? What is it that regular people may or not, may or may not understand about what's happening behind the scenes with policymaking and how that fundamentally affects them?
0: One thing they need to know is that the uh, within the Federal Reserve, they collect lots and lots of data. They run it for in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I also think um, that they, especially I know what the I know what the regional bank, uh, Fed banks, uh, with, led by their presidents, that they are very much in contact with their. Uh, like the Beige Book, it's kind of like the biggest thing in the world. It comes out about, what, three weeks before a Fed meeting. And each in each district, they talk to businesses, they talk to academics, they talk to all kinds of people and get a sense, what's the latest? You know, are you hiring more? Are you laying off? Are prices seem to be rising? Do you get some sense that you're you're hearing uh, reports from your retail um, businesses in your district that things are slowing down? So they do try to Stay very close to that. They, and I think they they do have models, but again, I think this is a combination of art and science. And speaking of models, one of the most simple one is the Taylor rule. Taylor rule is really basic. John Taylor, um, who is longtime uh, Stanford economist and uh, was undersecretary for the Treasury, was actually under consideration potentially to be one of the heads of, of Fed, the head of the Fed at one point or another. And um, this Taylor rule that he developed, I think the early '90s is when it first started, was looking at inflation and unemployment, basically growth and, and inflation, and uh, then saying, and you, you got you got you, you can make the equations fancier or simpler, but you end up with something that says, okay, this gives you an idea of where the federal funds rate should be relative to where inflation is and where growth is. And when I interviewed John a couple of weeks ago, he Professor Taylor, maybe I should say, um, he said, well, right now the Taylor rule suggests given where inflation is, given how strong growth is, that the funds rate isn't about the right place, but it's not a predictive thing about where it's going. It's just where it is. And the idea is so as inflation comes down and he expects it will, then the funds rate should come down too. I think he figured it probably could bottom around 4% where it is from, you know, five and a quarter to five and a half. That's a Taylor rule. So if that's a really simple rule, and when I started covering the Fed, I, that's how I understood it. If the economy starts heating up, And it's growing that's great and if you see prices start to rise some pressures on inflation then you think about maybe hmm, should we start snugging up you know that's what move and if economy's chugging along and then something's slowing it down oh maybe we should start thinking about cutting rates it's a very simplistic way to do it but it's i think it's kind of the heart and soul of what is going on and i think for you know regular people anytime they see the anything that raises interest rates Uh, Or slows the economy down. That's a big deal. And in fact, I just saw yesterday that Larry Summers and three other economists at the National Bureau of Economic Research have done a really interesting paper where they're talking about why is consumer sentiment not stronger? Why is it so weak still, even though we've got growth and low unemployment? And they're looking at cost of borrowing. As something that hurts sentiment and they have charts and everything. I haven't read it. I mostly just read a little synopsis that suggests that's another reason why people don't feel so good right now. They don't like it when it costs them more to, you know, put, put something on their credit card, you know, buy a house, whatever. And so uh, it, I just think it's difficult. Like, I may, I'm going to give a, a kind analogy for the fed. Let's say you're a doctor and they've got some kind of condition and this is how you're going to treat them. Well, they know why they're doing it and they know what they're doing. You may not, they can try to explain it to you. You may not get it in the same way. And maybe that's a little bit the way it is with Fed policy. I think the Fed's trying very hard to communicate clearly. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, it, people have a lot more on their minds than what the Federal Reserve is doing. Although, not me. I mean, seriously.
1: <laughs> the, the, the cost of bar one is an interesting one, right? Because it's it's, I don't want this to be high because that hurts my sentiment. But the cost of borrowing being low usually is in line with low policy, which is usually going to match up with, oh, then we have all this inflation. And then people don't want inflation either, right? So so it's it's hard because you, you, you want both. You, you don't want the inflation and you don't want the high cost of borrowing.
0: Well, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important not to let inflation get out of control. And that's why it's important to be preemptive. And one of the things the Fed did, may I be nerdy, is they passed a new framework and it came into place. It started in April of twenty twenty now that's just when all this pandemic was starting because they'd had a long time getting their 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 the inflation number up to target and staying there just two percent that's not that much, right, so they decided to hold back one of the things that new framework said was that that inflation would have to be above two percent and rising before they would start raising rates, okay. Looking back, it was probably the wrong time to say we don't have to be quite so preemptive, and they may have seen it a little bit differently. But they'd come out of ten years of below-target inflation, etc., and they also wanted to make sure the, that the labor market wasn't just at full employment; it was maximum inclusive employment. That's a taller measure that's a bigger measure that's going to be looked at starting towards the autumn of this year I think when the federal reserve is going to take another look as another look at this they did this kind of big uh, looking at their framework and that's what it culminated in they're going to start that again uh that is a little bit nerdy but that's i think too it's like so many things in life sometimes it helps if you get out. If you don't wait too long to start making a change and it could be in a relationship, it could be, you know, with, with so many things, losing weight, gaining weight. Uh, and, um, it's, it's just another one of these things that, is is not always, di- it's not, you don't always know exactly what the right answer is. And I would say myself, if I were a central banker, I would err on the side of being more preemptive, because I always say, you can start raising rates, and ooh, if you're having a, a strong impact, maybe a little too much, it's so easy just to slash rates, right? You can just, you know, slash them right down. And, um, and I think that's something that maybe people are appreciating a little bit more, including at the Fed, you know, if they've been more preemptive, they maybe read some things wrong in 2021 going well into 2022, and that, that's what helped inflation go so far out of control. But the people who feel they've had almost a victory say, well, look at how much it came down. It was, yeah, we had it went through a tough time, but the pandemic created a lot of, lot of things that people hadn't expected that were hard to gauge. We did our best, and now we figure we're almost back on track, but we're not ready to cut rates yet.
1: You're right. It's easier to slow down if you get out ahead than it is to catch up if you're falling behind. You mentioned Professor Taylor or John, as you called them originally. You know a lot of these people on a first name basis. Are you are you ever calling anyone doctor this or professor that? Or is it typically always their first
0: name? Kind of depends on how well I know them. It kind of depends. If it's an interview, I might very well start with, um, you know, President uh, Bostic, uh, President Barkin, President Daly, and then just well, Mary, you know. Well, Raphael, because a lot of these people are—they're—I mean—they're I mean, they're practically all—they're—they're they're, they're down-to-earth people. They're real people, so I don't think they're—you um, know—waiting to be—you know—you it, 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 obviously want to show p- someone in an important position uh, respect, uh, but um, they are—they're—you know—they're all very approachable people. They're all real people. They're—I. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy. Covering the Federal Reserve and central banks, I find them to be, I find them to be, I, I like, I, I just, I like the, I like the, I like a lot of the people who are involved in it, and I, I think it's for me, it's been rare to find somebody who is just. There are some people who are like arrogant or whatever, but I think most of them are are, are pretty cool.
1: What are you doing with Central Bank Central? That's your new your new thing. You're the editor in chief of that. Uh, you know, talk about that. What are we, what are we, uh, what are we expected to see from, from that space? From
0: here? Well, we're going to start with lots of interviews with all kinds of people, people. And, uh, my most, I'd say most of my work so far has been, you know, keeping my federal reserve coverage going. And I'm actually, one of the things I want to do, you know, lots of times when you're doing, uh, broadcast media, you have to be very careful of eyeballs right then. Who is going to care? What do they want? I'm going to, for me, I'm going to do a lot. And one of the things I'm going to do is stuff that isn't necessarily just the sexiest three minute interview. I want to do talk more about um, well I'm you know someone writes a, a a paper on consumer sentiment and cost of borrowing. Call that person up. well, how does that work? you know and we'll just see what kind of audience that gets. I think there are people who want to get more information and they like to hear things in a conversation. I don't know about you. I love to read, I can sit down and read all kinds of things, but do you ever, you go to an event and there's a panel or something with smart people, or someone's being and and you, you can learn a lot just by listening. And lots of times I absorb information better I think we're in a different way from just reading, right? When I listen to someone that makes an impression. I'm also going to um, make sure I maintain my coverage of foreign central banks. Obviously, the two other big ones are the Bank of Japan. And for several years, I went to Japan about four times a year to cover the, uh, the, the BOJ meetings. Uh, ECB, European Central Bank. And then um, I have other people that I know in, in some of the emerging markets. So I'm going to stay on top of all that. But one more thing. Financial stability and this whole thing, look, look, SVB, March of 2023, whoa, that hit like a ton of bricks. And I think that most of us, or many of us anyway, but certainly this is banking and financial stability is a much more complicated area to dig into. I think, than looking at the economy there. So that's another thing I want to make sure that over time with this central bank central, I can include more and more of that because I do uh, and I want, I just think there's a lot of really interesting people out there that nobody hears and that doesn't necessarily see. And so that's where I'm going and that's the beginning and you know, sky's the limit.
1: That's amazing. We look forward to seeing how you grow and develop that obviously from the, the base that you have right now to, to some of these other topics, that you'll be, you know, diving deeper into going forward. Central bank, central. Kelly, thank you so much for the time today and then sharing your your wisdom and your perspective on on what you're seeing right now.
0: Well, I I hope it's wise. <laughs> I hope it provides perspective. And uh, again, this is another reason why I like conversations, and that's why I think. That people who can avail themselves. There's we have so much information. We have a lot of people doing these kinds of things now, so we have a lot of places to go and and learn and and get more. So uh, I'd say hats off to all of us. It's an exciting time to be doing what we're doing.
1: Thanks again to my guest Kathleen Hayes for joining me here on on For more information on this episode, go to the website WealthyOn.com and get all the latest information and in all of our past episodes as well. And if you like this episode, please like, share, subscribe, comment, forward, let everyone know. That's how we get this content out to as many people as possible so they can learn as well. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.